Hi everyone, David Harris here with you for Criminal Injustice with a news bonus about Bill Barr's big interview. Well, everybody knows the name Bill Barr. You don't have to be a lawyer to know about the Attorney General of the United States. And he's attracted quite a lot of flack over the last few months over charges that he is politicizing the Justice Department, in particular that he seems to have a penchant for serving special meals of justice to the friends of the president, that he seems to be extending presidential power beyond all reason, and on and on and on. Well, let's dig into this because we have a unique opportunity to do so. Well, if you're a reporter, let's say like NPR's Steve Inskeep, and you get a call for a sit-down interview with the Attorney General, who seems to want to clear the air maybe, you know, talk about the things that are on his mind, you're going to go. And that's what Mr. Inskeep did. He did a full interview with Attorney General Barr. It was heard over two days on National Public Radio. That was on June 25th and 26th. And I listened to both segments with great fascination because, you know, all these uh, innuendos and implications and charges about what he's doing with his office. Barr is a skilled interlocutor, as you would expect. He knows how to talk. He never gets flustered. He keeps control. And so I was curious, how would Mr. Steve Inskeep handle this? How would he put difficult questions to him? And what would Barr say? And of course, would it be convincing? Well, let's take a tour through that interview. You can, of course, go listen to it yourself. We're going to put links up to the full interview, but we're going to play some excerpts here that really zero in on these several important questions that I want to highlight. Uh, Mr. Barr is going to get all kinds of airtime here with us. Uh, we're going to give him some long excerpts so that he really gets to explain. Uh, and so as our service to you, uh, we're going to talk about what was said, what was not said, and how it all plays. So first, uh, Mr. Barr, the attorney general, seems to be making use of his power as attorney general to make political calls on behalf of of the president. That's the charge. You don't have to take my word for it. Uh, you could ask the hundreds, literally hundreds, of former Department of Justice lawyers, both Republicans and Democrats, serving across many administrations who've repeatedly called him out in public letters and petitions and so forth for doing exactly this. Um, let's not even go back to Mr. Barr's mischaracterization of the Mueller report soon after he took office, well prior to its release, where he kind of gave the whole thing a different spin and a different narrative, which was, of course, impossible to dislodge later when the report actually said different things. What a terrible accident that was. Now, let's go to the specifics of the idea that the Justice Department is being politicized. A lot of this centers on the treatment of the cases of Michael Flynn and Roger Stone. For those of you who don't remember, uh, Michael Flynn 
Flynn was the Trump administration's first, of many it turns out, uh, National Security Council directors. Uh, He only lasted a very short time in office because when he came in, it turned out he'd lied to Vice President Pence, among other people, about his previous contacts with the Russian ambassador. And this, of course, became the basis for an investigation of Mr. Flynn. Had he violated the law during those previous contacts, that was before the administration even took office, right? Uh, So uh, many, many problems suddenly facing Mr. Flynn back in January of of 2017. And uh, it didn't turn out well for him. He lied to the FBI. Uh, There were also other activities involved, such as being an unannounced and undocumented agent for the Turkish government, and on and on and on. So uh, eventually Mr. Flynn is charged with lying to the FBI, which is in fact a federal crime. And uh, he eventually, after a long struggle, goes to court and pleads guilty. Now, when you go to court and you plead guilty, you stand up in front of the judge, you, not just your lawyer, but you, and you have to admit to doing the things you are charged of. And the judge puts you under oath to do that, all right? So you have to stand up and swear that the charges against you and the facts alleged are actually true in your guilty plea. And Mr. Flynn did that. In fact, he did it not once, but twice. Well, comes to pass that late in the game, after pleading guilty, and when he is facing a sentence, Mr. Flynn gets new legal representation, and the new lawyer works very hard for a different result. And eventually, that results in Mr. Barr, Attorney General, intervening in his case through the Department of Justice and saying, we're going to drop the whole thing. Okay, you got that? The guy has pleaded guilty. He has sworn that he is guilty. And before sentencing, in comes the Department of Justice in the person of the Attorney General and says, we're dropping this. Now, if that isn't unusual, I don't know what unusual means, okay? And so right away, the charges fly. Uh, this is because he's a friend of the president. And the president has basically been nonstop tweeting about how unfair everything has been to Mr. Flynn, etc., etc. So what says Attorney General Barr to the charges that he has given political favors to Mr. Flynn in this case because he is a friend or a former staffer or whatever you want to call him uh, for President Trump. Here it is in Mr. Flynn's own words. This is from the first of those two NPR interviews. So starting with the Flynn case, uh, you know, Flynn was uh, entered into a plea agreement uh, before I arrived. It had been there for a long time and because of legal squabbling uh, the sentencing didn't come up until after I was attorney general Mm -hmm. and he had a new lawyer and and she raised a lot of claims including misconduct by the government so I I brought in somebody uh, who had been a former uh, FBI agent for 10 years and a prosecutor for 10 years and I asked him to take a look at it and he recommended that the charges be dismissed you know unless there's uh, uh, some conflict of interest that I have, it is appropriate for me to deal with it. And I've said publicly that in those cases, it's very important that the attorney general make sure that there's no political influence at stake involved in that. And there wasn't. 
There was a lot of uh, hinky stuff in the Flynn case. Everyone knew that. Everyone was wondering, why was this case ever brought? Okay, so you hear that? Nothing political. No, no, no. Just not true. Just not true. No favoritism, no special treatment. So what about the case of Roger Stone? All right. Uh, Another friend of the president, if you want to call him that, he was a political operative and worker for the Trump campaign. He seemed to be the bridge in certain ways between the WikiLeaks organization, if we can call him that, and the Russian government hacking Hillary Clinton's emails, giving them to WikiLeaks, and then WikiLeaks dropping them in ways that really damaged Hillary Clinton's campaign and her chance of winning the election. Uh, um, That, among other things, uh, puts uh, Mr. Stone in the federal crosshairs. Uh, He went to court. He had a trial. He was convicted, found guilty. So we're at the sentencing stage for Mr. Stone not long ago. Uh, there, There is a team of prosecutors that has handled his case all the way through. And according to the federal guidelines, uh, a range of sentences is prescribed by those guidelines. They are not mandatory, but they are usually followed. And those prosecutors on the case, those who had handled it since the beginning and were most familiar with it, recommended that the court give a sentence that was at the high end of the sentencing guidelines range. Not outside it, but the high end. Clearly the high end, not the low end. Okay, Um, and this got the president's attention. So unfair. Tweet after tweet. This guy's being railroaded, so on and so forth. Well, again, in comes Mr. Barr and through the Department of Justice, uh, they substitute a new sentencing recommendation that is much more lenient. It is not a jail-free recommendation, mind you. It is at the low end of the sentencing guidelines. Uh, and when Mr. Barr does this, uh, when they substitute new judgment into the process, the prosecutors who've been handling the case are so disgusted that they drop the case, uh, they, they walk away from it. One of them even resigned from the Department of Justice. That man's name was Aaron Zelinsky, and when this interview was recorded, uh, Mr. Zelensky had just testified in Congress, in the House of Representatives, uh, about the political pressure that was brought to bear on him and the other lawyers on the team to uh, go along with the lower sentencing recommendation. Uh, he thought it was political favoritism and special treatment. He refused, and he quit his job. All right. So what says Attorney General Barr to these charges of political favoritism, right? To these charges that Roger Stone, friend of the president, is getting special treatment. Here is Attorney General Barr, because what it amounts to in his eyes is nothing. Prosecutor Aaron Zelinsky. Uh, who said he was a whistleblower, said that in the Roger Stone case, he received pressure to change the sentencing recommendation in a way that he considered inappropriate. And he said he was told by his supervisor that was because of political pressure, because of a fear that the president would be displeased if another course was taken. Right. Well, the supervisors have said that uh, much of what he said was simply false. Uh, so he named the supervisor, Jim but and 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 and, and, and the statements he made, he said, were he admitted were double hearsay. He had no direct information. He had never talked to anyone involved in the decision. Whereas I actually made the decision. I was the decision maker in that case. Now, 
hold on. Did you hear that? Did you hear how he shifted? He says, first, Aaron Zelensky is a liar. Then he says, it's double hearsay. His testimony was double hearsay. Well, for the uninitiated, let me just explain this. Double hearsay doesn't mean something is a lie. It means somebody seems to be repeating something that someone else said, and that was repeated by somebody else. Else. And that is an evidence problem, no doubt. I teach double hearsay myself, but it doesn't mean somebody's lying. Those are two different things. So we have a little equivocation there. So what does it all amount to? Nothing, says Attorney General Barr. Here he is again. How do you answer a voter who sees a pattern here of continually upholding the personal interests of the president? Well, I'd say that there is no such pattern. I would say that that is a media narrative that has been adhered to, where things that happen all the time in the Department of Justice are misrepresented to the public and cast as somehow suspicious. Okay, so nothing to see here. Just move along, move along. Nothing to see here. Okay, so these two examples, Flynn, Roger Stone, uh, no special treatment. Here's my thought. If you ever want to ask a question about whether somebody is getting special treatment in the justice system, and maybe in other contexts too, but hey, I'm about the justice system, so I'll stick to that. Ask yourself this. Would another person who does not have the high VIP position, the visibility, the friend of the president credential, would another person get that same treatment? I've been thinking a lot about that because, you know, I handled a lot of cases as a lawyer. I did a lot of guilty pleas with clients who had no alternative or thought that that the plea bargain offered was the best alternative. And I'm just trying to envision going up in front of the judge after having pled guilty, after having pled guilty, right? Um, Could I get two things? Because I need both here. Number one, could I get the prosecutor at that point to agree that this was a kind of a mistake, this whole thing, it was an illegitimate case, it was a nothing case, and it should be dropped. I'd say my chances of that happening once a guilty plea has been entered are somewhere between zero and none. Zero. I mean, no, it's never going to happen. But I have to have more. I not only have to get the prosecution to drop it, I have to go in front of the court and get a recommendation out of the prosecutor for that, right? That's even more. Could I get that? I can't imagine it. Not in my wildest dreams could I imagine that for a client, all right? Never. So the idea that this is not special treatment, and that's all the political favoritism argument is, it's special treatment on the basis of relationship with the president, hogwash baloney, or other words beginning with buh, okay? That just doesn't wash. All right, so let's move on. What else did Attorney General Barr have to say in that interview with Mr. Inskeep? Well, what about executive power, okay? Uh, This is a real real, uh, issue here um, because we've got a president who likes to say, I can do anything I want. I have all the power. And he's said that many times about many different things. I can do anything I want. And it turns out Bill Barr actually holds a real philosophy, a legal philosophy of constitutional law, which 
everyone wants to keep their home and family safe. Whether it's from a break-in, a fire, flooding, or a medical emergency, Simply Safe Home Security delivers award-winning 24/7 protection. With Simply Safe, you don't just get cameras and sensors, you get the best professional monitors in the business. They've got your back day and night ready to send police, fire, EMTs, whatever you need when you need them most straight to your door. Now when my family had the job of selling our family home after it was empty, we knew we needed a security system we could count on. My brother, the electrician, the guy who's the most tech savvy of all of us, he recommended we go with Simply Safe and boy am I glad we did. It was easy, it was affordable and it was good. It performed and we were safe. Simply Safe protects every inch of your home. You can set it up yourself in just 30 minutes. It's really easy. Then Simply Safe's professionals take over, monitoring your home 24/7 and ready to send help the moment they get an alarm. Plus, with Simply Safe, there's no long-term contract. There are no hidden fees and no installation costs. Right now my listeners get a free home security camera when you purchase a Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com/injustice. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. Visit simplysafe.com/injustice for your free security camera today. That's simplysafe s i m p l i s a f e that's simplysafe.com/injustice seems to dovetail with that at the moment when we have this particular president okay his theory is called the unitary executive and this is a common theory among some of the most conservative legal minds that we have now it's one of the things that justice kavanaugh has talked about and many other conservative jurists the idea of the unitary executive uh, is that the, the the whole executive power under the constitution is invested in the president and the president himself or herself gets to exercise all that power a person like the attorney general uh is only the president's hands essentially uh the secretary of state is only the president's hands uh the president can tell everybody what to do can hire and fire at will there are no limits on the president's executive power oh, really no limits at all no limits at all so uh, you know uh, so uh, that's what inskeep first presses bill barr on there are no limits on president trump's power and uh barr tells uh, uh steve inskeep uh no presidential power is not unlimited there are things a president could not order him to do like what asked mr inskeep and bill barr says well he couldn't tell me to indict somebody when there's no evidence Well, that's a relief. I'm really glad to know that that's the minimum standard, right? Or the maximum standard, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's frightening. 
There are really no limits on what the president could not order the attorney general to do, except that. That was the only example he could come up with. That is not a world I recognize. All right. So how did Bill Barr defend himself in that moment? Well, here he is. One of the things that perplexes me about all these people who challenge me on on the idea of executive power and its nature They seem perfectly content to sit back and let governors who are executives and have constitutions make the most sweeping decisions about people's livelihood, basically putting the entire population in home detention and telling people uh, that they have to shut down their livelihood and their business. And they leave that to the discretionary decision of governors. And I haven't heard the media at all saying, hmm, this is a pretty broad uh, use of power. Where does it say in the Constitution they have that power? First, I got to say, this is straight up whataboutism, right? Okay, I'm asking you about something you've said or done or a position you have that I think uh, is wrong. And what you do instead of answering me is saying, well, okay, but what about this? What about what the Democrats do? What about what these guys do? That's whataboutism. And it's not really an answer to my question. But There's this. In fact, governors actually do have the kind of power that Bill Barr is pointing to under their state law. Yes, they do. The reason that people haven't been, and by the way, people have challenged that governor's level executive power, they've lost the cases when they've done that. That happened here in Pennsylvania. Uh, But when, when people have challenged that, what we find out is we look at the state law and it gives governors very wide power in situations like the COVID-19 emergency. And if Attorney General Bill Barr, being a lawyer and everything, if he had looked at Pennsylvania's law, he might have found something like Section 7301B of Title 35. It's not hidden. It's in a book. And it says, I'll quote it for you here, responsibility to meet disasters. The governor is responsible for meeting the dangers to this commonwealth and people presented by disasters. Now, here's Section B. Under this part, the governor may issue, amend, and rescind executive orders, proclamations, and regulations which shall have the force and effect of law. All right, so Attorney General Barr, read the law instead of pointing to the shiny thing over there to distract people. All right. Last thing I want to talk about here, the the last thing uh, that uh, Mr. Inskeep got to with Mr. Barr at the tail end of one of these interviews, uh, a really important question, a very important question in this moment. He says, is there systemic racism in American policing? Now, when this interview was conducted and aired, that is the end of June, we already knew uh, what Mr. Barr would say about this because he had already said it in several different interviews. No, there is no such thing as uh, systemic racism in policing, and it's wrong to call all police officers racists. He'd said that a number of times. But one of the things that 
public radio fans, and I am one, I'll be a stereotype right here and now, public radio fans really like, uh, and, 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 and with good reason, is that sometimes on public radio, a guest really gets to explain himself in a kind of depth that you don't see on television and in many other outlets. One of the things I love about doing criminal injustice is we can really let ourse- ourselves go with our guests, let those guests really talk. And to the extent that's ever possible in mass media, you find it on NPR. And that's what happened here. So let's see what Barr said, okay? Um, let's begin here with Steve Inskeep's question about systemic racism and we're going to then hear Bill Barr's answer. Uh, you were asked about systemic racism the other day in law enforcement. And you said, if I may summarize briefly, it's not really there. It was at one time. It was on the books. It was part of the law. The laws have been removed and there are still problems, but law enforcement is working on that. And yet statistically, just to pick one statistic, a uh, black man in the United States statistically is far more likely to be shot by a police officer than someone of a different race. Why do you think that is? Well, there are 8,000 blacks who are killed every year. 85% of them are killed by gunshots. Virtually all of those are blacks on blacks. The statistics on police shootings of unarmed individuals are not uh, skewed toward the African-American. There are many whites who are shot unarmed by police. Now, those numbers, as I said, have been going down. In the past five five years ago, it was 38 African-Americans who were unarmed were shot by police, 38 in the year. Uh, This past year was 10. Of those, six were physically attacking the police when they were shot. So these are not events that happen every day. But I think the media, you know, is ignoring the fact that 8,000 African-Americans are killed by crime in high crime areas. And 10 were killed last year by police, six of whom were under attack when they shot. So you have to put it in perspective. Okay, no. All right, this is just wrong. It sounds incredibly scholarly and erudite and on the money, and Steve says in another part of the interview, Steve Inskey says, well, he's got the numbers. He was clearly right about those numbers. No. Okay, and this, if any part of this interview really kind of got to me, got me a little upset, it was this. Point number one. He's shifting uh, in his answer to one of the very favorite uh, whataboutisms that you see uh, in the conservative media. Uh, the problem isn't police killings of black people. It's black-on-black crime. That's much, much worse, so much more common. Those black people shouldn't be mad at police officers. They should be mad at other black people. They should get their own house in order before ganging up and, and disrespecting the police and all that. Well, wait a minute. Nobody denies that other crime in which black people are victims is a problem, but it's not the same problem, Mr. Attorney General. And what I mean by that is this. When, a, when one person kills another, be they black, white, or something else, it's a murder, it's a tragedy, it's a crime. When the state, through its agents, 
kills one of its own citizens. That is in a whole different category. It may also be a murder and a crime, but it is more. It is state power destroying a citizen. You don't think that's different. I can't, I can't imagine where you are, right? It wasn't just that George Floyd was murdered on film. That's horrible. He was murdered by the state's own police officer. And if you don't think that's different, you should get another job, honestly. Second, your point about the numbers, okay? Oh, it's all about the unarmed people. Oh, look how small those numbers of unarmed killings are. And and yes, blacks are this many and whites are that many among the unarmed people killed. And Steve Inskeep says, yep, he got the right numbers there. Well, let me tell you something. Police killings are not important only when the person is unarmed. They're always important. Even if the person is armed, there may still have been no reason to kill. All right? Um, And that just doesn't get said here. Okay, And when you look at all of the numbers for people shot and killed by police, armed or unarmed, what you see is very clear. Blacks are more than twice as likely to be killed by police than whites are. That is the reality. And the fact that they are armed or unarmed can be an interesting piece of data and can tell you some things. But that isn't what makes the argument. That is just plain wrong. Next, let's talk about that data, okay? You're so good with the numbers, says Steve Inskeep. Well, wait a second. Where do those numbers come from? I'll bet some of you know. They come from the Washington Post, The Guardian. Why do they come from media organizations? Because Attorney General Barr's Department of Justice doesn't collect them in a thorough way. Okay. Now, this isn't Bill Barr's fault. It didn't start under him. Eric Holder called this out, too, under his administration. It's in part because of the hyper-localization of American policing. American policing is local, not federal, so you can't force police departments in the same way you could force them in the U.K. to give up this kind of data. But it's a travesty. Everybody knows it's a travesty. And Bill Barr hasn't put that on his to-do list to fix, all right? Um, And so the fact that we're dealing with those numbers is on him to some extent, all right? And there's more to this point, too, because the numbers should not only include people shot and killed, it should include people killed in any way. It should include people who are shot at by police but who don't die. It should include every attempted use of deadly force on a citizen, successful or not. And he's done nothing about that either. All right. You want to know what Bill Barr really thinks on this question of police? Okay. You want to know what he really thinks? I can't find it here for you in this interview, but it's there. Bill Barr gave some remarks at an event called the, it was the ceremony for the Attorney General's Award for Distinguished Police Service, which he awarded at the Department of Justice in December of 2019. So not long ago at all. And he makes a speech there. And in that speech, public remarks, 
He tells us what he really thinks of the relationship between police and those they serve. Here he is. Today, American people have to focus on something else, which is the sacrifice and the service that is given by our law enforcement officers. And they have to start showing more than they do the respect and support that law enforcement deserves. And if communities don't give that support and respect, they may find themselves without the police protection they need. Did you get that? Did you get that? What Bill Barr thinks is that citizens owe police respect and obedience, not protests, not backtalk. That's it. And if you don't give a little more respect, communities, you might not get the police service you need. Now, that doesn't sound to me like an attorney general. That sounds to me like some low-rent actor in a mafia movie. Eh, nice little neighborhood you got here. Shame if something happened to it because we wouldn't come when you called us. That is just an incredible way to view the relationship between police and those they are supposed to protect and serve. But that is Bill Barr. That's it for this news bonus. We dissected the views of Attorney General Bill Barr and held them up to the light as a service to you. You can always turn to us here on Criminal Injustice with our latest interviews of people doing the most important and interesting work across the criminal justice sphere, all of our news bonuses, and our other features. You can find all of it on our website. That's criminalinjusticepodcast.com. I'm David Harris, and I'll be back with you next time. Criminal Injustice is written by David Harris and produced by Josh Wallerson. Find show notes and past episodes at criminalinjusticepodcast.com.